You can see the ocean from the platform. <laughs> Does everyone do that? Yeah. Huh. There you go. Um, look, I don't know if, if you guys... I, I'm seeing some unfamiliar faces, so I'll introduce myself. My name's Mitch. Um, I grew up in church. Uh, I grew up in, in, in a fellowship that was probably something like what you guys are going to. I grew up in Bundaberg in the Revival Fellowship there. And... Um, I've had a really interesting journey. I love hearing the testimonies. They're really diverse. And um, you guys all have a story that's going to be like, it's totally unique. And I hope that today I can speak into your story knowing that it is totally unique. And I'm not going to try and tell you what your story's got to be. I just want to maybe speak something that's going to, you can take away and grab on and put in your story and take the next step. Um, I love the theme. I love, um, yeah, I don't know who actually wrote the theme, but it, it smacks of um, two lanes, you know, separating the words. I don't know if you guys had anything to do with it, but yeah, the two words and, and adjusting the word to make it a little play on words, I, I really like that. Um, but I want to look at faith, and I want to just look, I just want to pull it apart um, in terms of three things that I, I think are just really essential, if that's okay. Um, I want to ask what makes it spark. I want to ask what makes it grow. And I want to ask what makes it endure. Because what else do you need, really? It's got to spark. It's got to start. It's got to grow. It's got to endure. And, and, and the kind of faith that I'm talking about um, is not, it's not what I would call an extravagant faith. I just want to talk to you about a faith that walks with Jesus from now till the end. That's it. So it's got to be some kind of process, right? There's got to be a start, a growing, and an endurance. Um, and the kind of faith I want to talk about is um, the kind of faith that walks all the way to the end. No quitting, um, no turning back, no matter what. No matter how many times, I'm going to get emotional because um, I've written this talk in a really, like, you know, life's up and down, hey, and, yeah, like, I, I love, like, listening to Van, I, 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 I get you, like, that um, wrangle of am I healed and all that kind of stuff, and, you know, we all go through that stuff, and, I, and I, want, I want us to take away that no matter what, I remember talking to Pete in the middle of a, Pete Moore in, a, in the middle of a really tumultuous time in my life, really messed up. And I had some religious elites trying to tell me how I needed to live that was really like so, it was so out of normal and it was so beyond what I felt was attainable. I remember talking to Pete about, you know, the state of the world and what are we going to do? And, and I just, and I was a, a mess. And I, and I hit Pete with some big questions that were really difficult. I can't remember what the questions were, but they were really hard. And, and he kind of just, I remember him sitting back and it was like, I could see the wheels turning. And he said, you know what? And I remember this. He did, he did this motion. He said, you know what? Me and Jesus, I'm, you know, we're linking arms. And that's how I'm doing it. <laughs> Don't know about the rest. I'm just linking arms with Jesus and that's how I'm going to walk it out. And I just thought, yeah, that's, I've never forgotten that visual like you did that, and I was like, 
yeah, that's what I want. I just want to hook my elbows with Jesus and, and walk that way. Um, and I want to know that no matter what we're going through and whether we see God working or we don't, whether we're happy with how he's working or we're not, that we've got a faith that's going to stick it out. Um, okay, so what's it going to take? Let's start with the spark. I think, and I think I have really good biblical grounds for this. You can test it and challenge it and do what you like with it, but I think I've got good grounds for the spark needing two things um, that I think are essential for the start of faith. Yeah, faith is going to change your life. And I think these two things have to be there. There might be other things, but these are the big things I see. There needs to be awe. Awe. Where we are just struck with the idea and the person of God and the person of Jesus Christ. There has to be that. And there has to be love. Because you have all without love. And, but I don't, I don't want us to get all without love. I don't want us to get all without context of what Jesus, you know, when he moves in power, why is he moving in power? Well, because he loves us. Okay, so awe and love and, 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 as the spark. So let's look at that. Let's start with the definition of awe. I love, you know, defining awe. I, I heard someone talk about awe, and so I looked it up, you know, to try and get a definition that was really, that I, I, I felt captured it for me. And I love this. It was just, you know, I just did a Google search, like a second entry, and it said, awe is the feeling we get in the presence of something vast that challenges our understanding of the world. Like looking up at millions of stars in the sky or marveling at the birth of a child. I heard someone else say that awe is seeing something vast, seeing something that is just way bigger than we can really understand and having to accommodate that. Having, it, it requires accommodation. So we see this thing and we're like, I was looking over there, I need to adjust. That's the definition of awe for me. And I, I think it's general. I think we, we can all sort of relate to that. Um, so let's, let's start with the scripture. We're starting with awe. We're not going to love yet, but we're going to start with awe. Let's go to Isaiah 6 verse 1. Do you know where we're going? Do you guys know this story? This has got to be one of the most awe-inspiring moments that anyone's ever had in the history of people, I think. Obviously, Moses saw God and lots of people saw, but you know, this vision is intense, and so we're going we're gonna to look at it. Uh, it was in the year King Isaiah died, um, and that's, a, that's a, just so you know, a bit of um, Jewish history context. That is a tragic time in the journey of the children of Israel. Isaiah started great. He was, a, he was a man who feared God. He got proud. He ended up dying a leper, shunned, shut off. And the story doesn't get much better for Israel from that point. In fact, it just gets worse. And so that's the context for this vision that Isaiah is going to see. It was in the year that Isaiah, Isaiah died that I saw the Lord he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings, with two wings that covered their faces, two that covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. 
The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. (laughs) And this is the moment for for Isaiah. And he said, it's all over. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I love the, the, the English. It's all over, says Isaiah. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. There's this big problem. Isaiah is just having a huge crisis here. He's seen the Lord, like he's been exposed to the glory of the Lord, and yet he says, I am not okay. And that's what God does to us. Hey, he he intersects our life. He shows us how great he is. And we, if we're honest and we look at that honestly, we go, oh, no, I am not okay. I am not okay. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal. So in the moment where Isaiah says, I'm undone, it's over, he says it's over. (laughs) I love that. It's just because that's what, you know, intersecting, when your life intersects with God's and it really intersects and Jesus really gets you, It's over. And it happens over and over again through Scripture. He flew with a burning coal. He had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it. He said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Just like that. There's love. Awe and love come together. And what does Isaiah do? You know, from that point, the, the, the heaven folk are having a conversation and someone says, you know, who's going to go? Who's gonna, who will we send? Isaiah's <laughs> like, yes, <laughs> I'll do it. I don't care. I'm, no questions asked. You know, what, whatever conditions, I'm in. It's me. Because or met love and he's like, you know what? I've seen God. I've seen me. God somehow pulled those two things together and everything's going to be okay. Whatever you want, Jesus. Yeah, it's not Jesus in this, but Jesus was there. Um, let's go to the New Testament. Let's move real fast because I'm just going to cook this if, if, we, if we don't. Luke 5. Um, uh, there's a lot of story here. I've, I've just brought a whole lot of scripture into my talk here. You know what, we're not going to read the whole thing. Jesus says to Peter, you know, like Jesus has been preaching and, um, and he's preaching from a boat so that you know, he can get a platform and there's all these people listening. And then when he's finished, he's obviously in Peter's boat or someone's boat that Peter knows or Peter's working on the boat, whatever. And um, he says to Peter, let's push the boat out. Let's go fish. And Peter's response is really interesting. I'm going to share a little anecdote. When I was, um, when we used to live um, in Gosford, we lived at a place called Batonga. It's one of the most beautiful little places in the world. And um, I was skimming stones with Isaiah, my eldest, and uh, we were skimming rocks. And I heard this huge voice from the sand dunes pull out. I'm going to step back. Oi! Cut it out! I was like, what? I looked up, and there's this dude, and he's like, get out of the way, kind of thing. And I looked. 
at the shore, yeah, and I hadn't seen the scene unfolding because I'm with Isaiah and it's like this beautiful moment, dad-son moment, and, um, and this guy's in the boat with a net dragging behind and he's rowing flat out, straight out from the shore. This is like old school fishing. He's got the net trailing and the oars like he's pumping like this guy's like tank pumping and then the guy on the shore is directing the traffic so he's up there and when he sees that they've got the school of mullet they then you know turn hard and pull around and pull the fish up onto the shore and i was thinking like having seen old school fisher people i don't know what you know that the, the new school does i just know <laughs> what these guys did but i know peter would have been old school right because he didn't have a trawler but <laughs> he knew what fishing was about and so he says to Jesus, I just fished all night. There's nothing happening tonight. He's like the old guy, the guy with the big beard, the scary guy on the beach that day. They know. Like he knows what's going to happen if we go fish again. Nothing's going to happen. Um, and they know what's on. They know when the fishing's on, right? He's like, we're not going to catch anything. But because you said it, I'll go. And um, so we're going we're gonna to just drop in the story where the you know where they catch the fish, um, and they filled both the boats, so they began to sink. <laughs> it's like it's a lot of fish. It's a lot of fish to sink both boats. This is a miracle catch. There's no doubt. And Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, "Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man." It's almost word for word what. Isaiah says, it's not word for word, but it's the same thing. It's over. I'm doomed. God is in the boat, and I'm not okay. And it's almost the same response from Jesus as God gave Isaiah, which is, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. It's like straight from, it's un- I'm undone, it's over, you know, to, hey, it's going to be okay. Your sins are forgiven. Like he doesn't say your sins are forgiven, but he does it enough <laughs> through his story to know that that's the intent. I've, I've got this. I've got you. You're coming with me. It's going to be okay. Awe and love. You cannot have a story with Jesus. You cannot have a walk with Jesus without those elements. I'm just, that's from my experience. From what I see in Scripture, I think you've got to have those two things. Um, and you cannot unsee those things. There's no way Isaiah could ever unsee that vision. There's no way that Peter could ever unlearn that when God steps into the boat, it's a miracle. And, that, and, the, and the, the boat's sinking. No one's ever forgetting that. And you might be sitting here thinking, well... I've never had that vision. I've never seen the glory of God fill the temple and I've certainly never gone old school fishing and had my boat nearly sink because Jesus miracled the fish in. But I haven't either. And I can share my... I had a moment and, and my moment sounds a little bit more like the Google search where I sat on my back veranda in uh, Davistown, just around the corner from Jess, um, and I was, I was in crisis because I looked at the stars and I saw God. Easy. So I see you 
and I see me, and I see you're awesome, and I see why would you want to have anything to do with this, with this mess. Because I'm undone, and I'm unclean. And I'm not saying that as a person who was, you know, like, I, I wasn't living a crazy life. I just knew I was, I was not right. I grew up in church. I grew up like, you know, I'm thinking most of the demographic here is growing up in church. Peter, you know, if you grew up in Israel, you grew up in church because they had a national religion. Was being a Jew, very few people weren't in church. So you, know, you guys can relate to what is going on in this story because Peter's not a, a total ignorant, like ignoramus. He knows that there's a God. He knows who God is. He's been taught the scriptures. He knows like every kid in Israel. And yet when Jesus intersects the story, when God truly intersects the story, there's awe. There's love and there's a change. There's faith. It sparks. That's the spark. So what makes it grow? That's point two. So point one is the spark. What makes it grow? I don't want to spend too long in part two, not because it's not important. It's so important, but because it's, we're going to run out of time. I want to talk about spark. I want to talk about faith enduring. We're going to talk about grow. You're going to go away and do that as your homework because that's your life homework. <laughs> um, so part two, part two assumes part one has happened. I would just like to say to all of you, if part one, if you feel like part one hasn't happened for you, then go and ask God why it hasn't happened. Just go and ask him. Um, and if you're not seeing awe in your life, maybe you just need to take a big step back from whatever it is that's going on in your life and get some vastness in your frame and ask God in that frame, what's going on? Where are you? Because that was my question to the Lord. I get you. I understand you. I see me. And I don't know why you would be interested. So if you are interested, talk to me. And I heard a still small voice and it said, I stand at the door and knock and if you open up, I'm going to come in and eat with you. And it was clear and it was still, it was beautiful, it was small, but it rocked my world. So it wasn't two boats full of fish. It wasn't angels with six wings and smoke and earthquakes but it did the job. So God's going to do the job on you. If you feel like you're in that space where you know what, I don't see awe, I don't see wonder, I don't even see love, I don't get it, that's not happening for me. You just get, get step back, get some vastness in your frame and talk to God from that point. And I tell you, he will be there in a heartbeat. He will meet you there. So part two, we assume part one has happened. I hope that's fair. I hope that's okay. Um, we assume that you've had an encounter and faith has sparked in you. I mean, all of us have had some faith spark in us. There's been something happen. And maybe it's, maybe it's petered out. Or maybe it's roaring. But how do you get it to grow? I'm going to talk about you a fair bit today, Pete. I hope that's okay. It's not okay. 
So I heard, I heard a talk once from a, a friend. Uh, and he spoke about Stephen. And it really, it really made a big impact. A lot like a, a, that other thing that that person said about Jesus. Um, but he talked about Stephen and he talked about how Stephen was full of faith. And uh, yeah, there was the, yeah, you guys know the story, maybe, um, in Acts 6. Can we go there if you want? Um, Acts 6. And um, there was there was some issues in the church, um, administrative issues. People weren't getting ministered to who needed to. Um, and the, the church council got together and said, we need to fix this problem. It's causing issues in the church. But the people who are doing the work of, you know, really searching the word, teaching the people, evangelizing, they really shouldn't be the ones who we take off that task to go perform this ministry. We need other people. And so they pick people, and Stephen's number one, and, and it, he's the only one who is described in this way. Um, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and then Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas, Nic- yeah, all these guys, uh, and they prayed over them, and they went and waited on the tables, you know, to, to do this ministry of you know, serving the widows, and um, and I loved my friend's you know, understanding of this passage, and that is that. Yeah, you know, when we when we he he starts this this um, this ministry of serving um, these widows who needed serving, and it says you know in, in the first passage it says they chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and then um, so the disciples multiply greatly in Jerusalem. There's this massive period of growth, and then it describes Stephen again within a few verses, and Stephen full of grace and power was doing wonders. And, and great and signs among the people, and so there's this idea, and I've never forgotten this phrase that service unlocks power. And so if you invest that little bit of faith, and you you prayerfully invest that, yeah, you know, they prayed over him. So he prayed. He felt like he would have felt, wow, this is an amazing opportunity for me to serve. And he takes that and he just invests everything he can into it, and God just goes, yeah, I'm gonna bring all the increase to that. And all of a sudden, Stephen's not just waiting on tables. <laughs> there's, um, all of a sudden, there's miracles and signs, and the gospel is going out like wildfire because of that. Um, so once you have God intersect your life, and you've had that moment of awe, and you've seen awe and love come together, and you feel like, wow, I am changed by that, and you feel like I can never go back from that, we need to invest that and we need to go find because you know if you read Paul and you read James and you know there's uh, there's some people feel like there's this conflict between Paul writing yeah we are justified by faith and then James right without works faith is dead and we are justified by by works and there's that conflict of justification what's real in both of those is that we are justified by our faith in Jesus Christ and then we're justified in that we, you can see as in justified like, yeah, you're justified like you're made righteous as in 
something is fundamentally changed. Like if you justify a, a debt, it means you have paid the debt. The debt is justified. It's set right. But then you can talk about how, you know, if you talked about how um, you've justified, you know, if, I, if, if Harry said to me, um, I have um, great skills at basketball, and I say, well, justify that statement. I'm not saying go and make yourself great at basketball. I'm saying, well, there's the court. Let's shoot some hoops. Do you know what I mean? So faith is not, we are not justified because we go and do all this work. God isn't interested in what we bring to make us right. What we bring because of what he's given us just shows everyone else that this is a real faith. This is genuine. God has actually intersected that person's life. That person is actually on a journey. That person is different and there's something real going on. And if something real is not going on in your life, then that's not a real faith. That's not a faith that transforms lives because lives get transformed by faith, right? So we're not justified by the works, as in we're not made right by the works. The works justify, as in they validate the faith. So we're going to take that spark of, of awe and love. We're going to invest it. And now let's talk about, so I told you that wasn't going to be long. We're not going to talk about growing faith for long because that's your homework. You've got to go, on, you've got to go find what it is. Where, where are you going to invest your faith? Where are you going to invest that little thing that, that God's given you? And what makes it endure? And sometimes this is the hard question because sometimes, you know, like for me, I, I feel like I get awe a lot. I don't know if I'm different to most or the same as most or whatever, but for me, seeing God, like I don't have to go very far. Like I see him all the time. Like his, his presence is just abundantly manifest. But sometimes the question of endurance and enduring faith is a harder question. Because that's the point where, okay, I don't see God working right now. And I'm not okay with that. Or I think I can see God's working, but I don't like it. I don't like the way he's working. I want this, and he's given me that. I wanted healing, and he's teaching me patience. And who's had that? I mean, Van just talked about it. Like, I want to know that I'm healed and God's asking me to just walk it out. I'm not happy about that. Are we going to be happy in a faith where we're sometimes not going to like what God's doing in our lives? And you know, when we are just not up for it, you know, again, I'm going to talk about Van again. Is that all right, Van? He's not here. Oh, he is here. <laughs> it is all right? Hey, at least someone wants to cooperate today. That's nice. Because <laughs> um, sometimes you, you, come, you come to life. I'm not going to talk about whether it's camp or whether it's work or whether it's 
home, whatever it is, you're going to turn up at life not wanting to do it. And and maybe that's just me. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one who turns up at life and just goes, no, <laughs> I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it like this. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with what's on my plate. But the scriptures are full of help with that. This is my favourite bit of the talk. It's not why I left it to last, but it's, you know, it's just the natural course of events. But we're going to talk about some things that I personally love about Jesus and love about God, and I hope I'm not going too long. I didn't set a time or anything. How long have I got? Great. Um, <laughs> let's go to Hebrews 12. I'm just going to start reading straight away. I'm not going to wait for you to get there. Um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, see, when I read that scripture, I often, I don't know why, I often come at the scripture with a negative lens. I don't know why I do that. Um, I probably need to pray about that. But um, I often come with a negative lens and it's like, Okay, well, that's too hard. I'm just going to somehow strip off every weight and lay aside the sin, the sin that I can't, I can't get rid of it. You know, it's the, the sin that's in me. And yet the writer of Hebrews is just telling me to just get rid of it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Thanks for nothing because I can't get rid of it. And then he says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because we're not going to do it on our own. We're not just going to grab this in, take it, put it over there and walk away. That's not happening for us. I'm sorry, people. You might think that that's happening for you, but you will reach a point in your life where you realize that that is not happening for you, that it is only through Jesus, through the perfected, finished work of Jesus, that you are ever going to get rid of all that sin in your life. And this is how I imagine looking at Jesus. My wife is a phlebotomist. Do you know what that is? Who knows what that is? It's your chance to be really clever. Stacy, straight hand up. Well done. Yes, Stacy? She does, like a vampire. And um, they, they call them vampires. She is the, she is the loveliest vampire you've ever met. And, but I imagine, this is what I imagine when, I, when, when the writer says to me, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. I imagine, so Ange has a lot of people come into the clinic who are really scared of needles. It's probably a bunch of you guys who are scared of needles. It's not uncommon. It's very common. Um, needles are horrible. And um, so I imagine a little child coming in to get a needle and their mum bringing them in. And you know when a mum has their kid or a dad has their kid and they're getting the needle... And they say, and mum says, don't look at the needle, look at me. Don't look at the needle, just look at me. Hold your hand, just look at me. That's how I see this passage. It's not look at Jesus, he went and did it. And he's a great example, we should follow his example. That's not what I see when I read this, because it's not how Jesus acted. It's not how, it's not how he drew his disciples. He didn't just say, you know, get on and go and do what you need to do and, you know, 
you'll figure it out and you'll be all right. Just get on. I've just set the example, so you're going to be fine. That's not what Jesus did at all. He constantly helped and constantly drew. And you look at Peter. Peter's a great example of someone who needed constant reassurance and needed someone there with him to, you know, just sometimes it was a front-end alignment. Boo! Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> That's a nice thing to say to your friend. But <laughs> do you know what? I've, I've read that passage so many times and felt really hurt by it. I felt really hurt that, well, you know, I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't know if I want to be with that guy, the kind of guy who says, when I've just bared my heart and said, no, Jesus, I don't want you to go to the cross. And he says, get behind me, Satan. I feel like, I don't know if I want to be with that guy. He seems mean. <laughs> well, he, that, it, it does. It, it tra- maybe it just translates badly. But I read it again today, and I saw Jesus, who was about to go through the hardest thing he ever had to deal with, and I think he said it. Because it's like, that is not okay, Peter. It's not okay for you to say that because it's very hard for me to leave you. It's very hard for me to step off. So please don't say that. Because that's not from the right place. That's from a bad place. Because I must do this. So when Jesus, when, when the writer of Hebrews says, keeping your eyes on Jesus, it's keeping your eyes on don't look at that needle. Just look at me. You're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And then uh, he also says, oh, did I miss this? I feel like I've... No, no, it is in here. I thought it was in another verse and I forgot to put it in, but it is in this verse. We're going to read on. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And I love that he... He sparks it, and then he perfects it. So it's all about staying connected to Jesus. It is just all about that. He's not asking you to be anything other than his. His disciple, his friend, his child, and he's going to take care of the rest. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honour beside God's throne. Think of all the humility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful, sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. And some of that hostility was from people who he was really close to Judas Peter yeah, he said to Peter you're going to you're going to deny me three times when I when I need support when I need help humanly speaking when I need someone to be there for me you're not going to be there that's pretty hostile it's pretty selfish and so knowing that he endured that I hate to say this because we should never, ever take this for granted and we should never, ever abuse it, but he is going to take your hostility and he's still going to love you because you're going to do horrible things to him. 
because you've already done horrible things to him and you're a human and you're going to forget. You're going to forget this talk and you're going to forget every workshop you've done this weekend at some point in the future and you're going to do something horrible and you're going to be hostile towards Jesus and you know what he's going to be doing? He's going to be saying, I'm still here. Come on. Come on. Leave that behind. You know who you are. You know where you need to be. Let's go. I've got a bunch of other scriptures here that I, I wanted to look at, but I'm, I'm not going to. Um, wow. Way more than I remember. I can't even find the end of my talk. The end of the talk is written somewhere in the middle. <laughs> I, oh, okay. I know where I wanted to end up. I know where I wanted to end up. Because what we want... If we wrap all of this up, what we all want, or I hope we all want, and if, you don't have, if you're not there yet, don't worry, because Jesus is going to pursue you until you have it, or until you absolutely refuse him. And even then, he's still going to pursue you. I want to read some other stuff. No, we're not. We're not going to read it. Go on, go on, go and look up. I looked up enduring, and do you know what goes with enduring everywhere in Scripture? It talks about unfailing love, your faithful love. It's always endurance. Always goes with love. It always goes with God being faithful and loving His people without end. And where I want us to end. And this is, like, I, I think if I can say this, and I can say this every day until I die or until Jesus comes and grabs me and whisks me away, if I could say this every day, and it's Peter again, I think Peter is the best and worst of us. Like, I read the scripture and I just think, man, you're, like, you're killing it. And then, like, whoa, yeah, that's as bad as it gets. And, and that's us. I, I feel like that's me. I, <clears throat> That's, 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 what, that's what we live. We live lives of the best and the worst of us. Um, let's read it. John 6, verse 68. We're going to finish. I'm going to wait for you this time. I would love to, like, we get to see Jesus' heart a lot in Scripture, but I just think I would love to see, imagine if every time Jesus spoke, he also said, and I was feeling <laughs> such and such. You know, if you could actually, or he was smiling, or he was, he was um, dancing. I don't know, you know, like, you know, I, don't, I don't know what would be in, in, the, in the story of how Jesus felt but I'd love to see it. And I, I feel like we do see it a lot if we, if we really dig into the context. But I was thinking about this passage, John 6, verse 68, and there's a lot of people have just turned away from Jesus because he said some hard things, said some really hard things that they found difficult to grasp and they're too offensive. They were too offensive and a lot of people started to not follow Jesus. And um, Jesus turns to his disciples and again... I don't fully understand the context. Did Jesus say this and, and think, 
um, like, are you really going to leave? Like, did he, did he question his disciples and say, are you guys also going to leave? Like, for real? Or did he say it to start a conversation? I don't know, but I, I feel like what was he thinking and feeling? And, you know, he wept over Jerusalem because they wouldn't listen. And so I think there's some heartbreak in this, in this point of the story where he's like, are you guys also going to go? And I want us all to be able to say this every day to Jesus. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life.